This morning, I would like us to focus once again on the meaning of thanksgiving for us in the New Testament, for each and every one of us as believers in the church age. The Bible tells us in the letter to the Apostle Paul to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This verse is clear in telling us that whatever the circumstances we may face ourselves in this life, in this life, we are to give thanks to God. No matter the circumstances, whatever we are involved in, we are called to give thanks to God. But the question is, how do you define what it means to give thanks? What is to give thanks? Thanksgiving, in general terms, can be defined as this. The expression of gratitude to someone for something that person has done for you, either by request or voluntarily. An expression of gratitude to someone for doing something for you because, in first place, you have requested for example, if you don't have your watch with you or you don't have your phone with you, you may turn to the person next to you and say, excuse me, can you tell me what time it is? And when that person responds to your request, in good manners, you would say, thank you. But we would also manifest our giving of thanks when someone does something for us completely on their own, voluntarily. Let's say that you have your hands full with packages and bags and you are trying to open the door in front of you and you soon realize that you don't have a third arm. But someone sees you struggling and that person comes running and opens the door for you. Again, in good manners, you would say, thank you. Your giving of thanks is your expression of gratitude for someone, either because you have requested them to do something or because they did something completely on their own voluntarily. We could define thanksgiving in this way. Thanksgiving should be the natural attitude in a civilized society. But do you know that the Bible reveals to us that we are living in days where thankfulness is rare? The Bible specifically tells us that you and I are living in days where thankful, thankfulness, thanksgiving, is a rarity. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but realize this, that in these last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, that is, abusive with their words, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. The Bible specifically reveals to us that in these end times, in these times before the return of our Lord, one of the characteristics that will permeate society will be ungratefulness. That is, people in these latter days, people in this latter days generation will not appreciate what is given to them, but they will have a sense of entitlement, as if everything is owed to them. Have you ever met someone like that? Well, that's in the Bible. One of the characteristics of this end-time society. Thankfulness will be rare in our days. But despite the fact that we will be, it will be rare, thanksgiving will always exist, even as an exception, even under the most difficult of circumstances. Even though it will be rare, 
thankfulness will always exist. For example, meet Lieutenant Michael Murphy, a 29-year-old Navy SEAL who gave his life in an attempt to make a radio call asking for help to rescue his team. On June 28, 2005, Lieutenant Murphy and three other American soldiers were sent on a mission to the mountains in Afghanistan, searching for a known terrorist. Unfortunately, they were spotted by the Taliban and they were soon surrounded by 40 enemy troops. Our American soldiers, they quickly ran out of ammunition and they began to sustain bullet wounds. The lone American soldier who survived that attack that day, afterwards he said that Lieutenant Murphy, he came out in the open in order to complete the radio call, otherwise the mountains would not allow for the radio waves to be transmitted. He had to come out in the, in the open, even though he had already been shot in the stomach. He came out in the open to make the phone call, but as he did so, he got shot twice, two more times on the back. And at that time, he fell to the ground and he dropped the handset. Incredibly, on the ground, he was able to inch to the handset and grab it and complete the radio call, give their location, and ask for help. Do you know, before he died, do you know what were his last words to the person on the other side of the line? He said, thank you. On October 22nd, 2007, the very first Medal of Honor for the war in Afghanistan was given to his parents and awarded posthumously to Lieutenant Murphy. His testimony of bravery will forever be marked by the fact that under the most distressful of circumstances, he still found the grace to say, thank you. God reveals to us in the world that in his word, that in the world, in these end times, there will be lack of thanksgiving. But even so, in rare moments, there will always be thankfulness, even under the most distressful of circumstances. We must always be reminded, give thanks. It is interesting to note how many times God emphasizes the importance of giving thanks in his word. In the New Testament alone, the word related to thanksgiving appears more than 50 times. And do you know how thanksgiving is defined in the New Testament? In years past, I have shared this with you, that the word in the New Testament for thanksgiving is this, is the word eucharistia. It appears in many passages in the New Testament but it is important for us to highlight one, and that is in Matthew in chapter 26 and verse 27, where the Bible says, and when Jesus had taken a cup and given thanks, in the original, those two words in the original is that just one word in the Greek, eucharistia. And he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Because the Bible uses this word when Jesus instituted the communion, the Roman Catholic Church calls the communion the Eucharist. 
However, the word Eucharistia does not mean communion, as you can see. But the word Eucharistia literally means this. The giving of thanks for God's grace. The giving of thanks for God's grace. Where does the expression, let us say, grace come from? It comes from the biblical definition of thanksgiving, where we pray before a meal, giving thanks to God for his gracious provision. Grace and thanksgiving are inseparable. In fact, the word for grace in the Bible is the word charis, as you see here, C-H-A-R-I-S. And as you can see, even the word grace is right in the middle of the word thanksgiving. Grace and thanksgiving are forever linked in the Bible. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. The more grace abounds, the more our thanksgiving should abound as well. Grace and thanksgiving are inseparable in the Bible. Thanksgiving is defined as our giving of thanks for what God's grace has given us. Thanksgiving means our expression of gratitude for what His grace has done in our lives. The question is, do you have any reasons to be thankful to God for what His grace has given to you? For all of us as Christians, the answer is a resounding yes. Without being a Christian, Christmas is just for Santa Claus. Without being a Christian, Easter is just for chocolate bunnies. And without being a Christian, Thanksgiving is just Turkey Day. But now as a believer, we have come to understand that Thanksgiving, in the original biblical meaning of the word, Thanksgiving becomes then a very special occasion for us Christians to recognize and give thanks to God for His grace. Thanksgiving, the giving of thanks for God's grace. Therefore, understanding that true thanksgiving, our thankfulness for His grace in our lives, that is how it is defined. We can say that thanksgiving can only truly take place in the lives of those who have received saving faith. I can be a thankful person out of politeness, out of having a good upbringing. But if I am going to be thankful according to the biblical definition of the word, that means that I will be thankful to God for His grace in my life. And that can only happen if I am saved. And the Bible confirms that. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 17, you remember the story of ten men who were lepers. And they came to the Lord asking Him to heal them. And the Lord healed all ten of them. But only one came back to do what? To give thanks to God, to give thanks to Christ. And what happens? The Bible tells us, beginning verse 15, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? 
Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. The words that the Lord used in the original manuscript, in the original words in the Bible, refers to salvation of the soul. What the Lord literally said to that man was, your faith has saved you. Because that man who used to be a leper appreciated the giver more than the gift, he not only received physical healing like the other nine did, but he also received the spiritual healing. He received his salvation. Now notice, he was not saved by works, by giving thanks, but he gave thanks because he had already been saved by faith, as the Lord said in verse 19. Your faith, not your giving thanks, not your works, your faith has saved you. This proves and demonstrates that once we are saved and have come to saving faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, we will manifest thankfulness. We will give thanks to God, recognizing the place of His grace, what His grace has done in our lives. Thanksgiving is the giving of thanks for God's grace. Give thanks. Now that we understand what thanksgiving means in the Bible, what are the reasons, once again I ask you, what reasons would you have to give thanks to God for what His grace has given you? Could you say, could you mention, what are the reasons that you have, not simply this coming Thursday, but out of the 365 days of the year, what are the reasons for which you can be thankful to God for what His grace has given you? This morning, I would like to share with you five specific gifts that God's grace has given us for which we must be thankful. Certainly, as I said, there are many other blessings that we have received from God's grace. But these five gifts, as we are going to see, they are specifically and explicitly mentioned in the Scriptures as gifts from God's grace to us believers. The first gift that I want to highlight for us, that it is a gift of God's grace to us, is the gift of salvation. This is the most important, first and foremost, the greatest gift that the grace of God has given us, the gift of salvation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians in chapter 2 in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We have been saved by grace, and grace is an unmerited favor. It is something that God has given us even though we did not deserve. We have been saved by faith, not because of how good we were, not because of our good works, not because of anything that we had done to deserve it. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans in chapter 11, for if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But we have been saved freely without works as a gift from God's grace to us. Just remember, the fact that we are saved freely by grace without works doesn't diminish what was done to purchase our salvation. It is given freely to us, but remember the price. 
It costs the life of the Son of God. It costs His blood being shed on the cross so that we could receive this free gift of salvation through God's grace. As the Bible tells us in Ephesians in chapter 1, in Christ we have redemption through His blood. It cost Him His life for the the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The grace was given to us freely for our salvation, but oh, what a price was paid. He took our place, the punishment that we deserved. He took upon Himself a Calvary's cross. The Son of God paid the price for us. This is what sets Christianity apart from any system of religion in the world. We worship a God who came to this earth in human form. Jesus Christ is God and he came in on to this earth to die for us at the cross. The deity whom we worship paid the price for us. He did all the work so that we could be freely saved. That sets Christianity apart from any other religion in the world. How is a Buddhist saved? He is saved by pursuing the teachings of Buddha, by trying to become enlightened, hoping that at the end of his life, he will experience reincarnation. And then he will come back to this life and become even more enlightened. And then he hopes that at the end of their life, he will continue this cycle of, in, this era, in this repeated reincarnation more and more and more times until he is finally enlightened and can achieve the state of nirvana. How is someone saved? How is a Muslim saved in Islam? By becoming righteous, by pursuing righteousness through good works. And what is worse is that a Muslim in following the religion of Islam cannot even have the certainty of his own salvation even though he pursues good works at all times. Because that's exactly what the Quran says. That Allah may not be influenced by the good works of his followers. In fact, the Quran says that Allah will take both the righteous and the unrighteous to hell. And after they, he takes all of them to hell, he will then select some of them, some of the righteous, to be transported into heaven. That's in the Quran in Surah 19, verse 67 through 72. No Muslim... Never mind how righteous he believes he is according to his good works. No Muslim can have the certainty of his own salvation. Even Muhammad said he couldn't know if he was saved because he didn't know what Allah in the end would decide to do. That is in the Quran in Surah 46 verse 9. A religion completely based on good works and not even those good works give certainty and assurance to the followers that they will go to heaven that they will go to salvation. How is anyone saved in Roman Catholicism? According to the Vatican and according to Catholic websites, a Catholic person is saved by faith and by good works, especially baptism, based in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, where Peter says, baptism saves us. But Peter is quick to clarify that he's not referring to baptism by water. He is referring to a baptism in the body of Christ. When we believe in Christ as our Savior, Christianity sets, up, 
sets itself apart for the correct interpretation of the scriptures. We are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, not according to our merits, not according to our own good works, but it is a glorious and gracious gift from the Lord to us. We can always be thankful. Eternally, we will be thankful for this gift of grace, our salvation. But God's grace has also given us the gift of spiritual gifts. The Bible is specific in telling us in Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you are a believer, the Bible is clear in telling us that we have received, each one of us has received a spiritual gift from the Lord as a gift of his grace to us. More specifically, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Are you a believer? God has given you a spiritual gift. Are you a Christian? God has given you a spiritual gift. Each and every one of us, each Christian, every Christian is called to serve God through the spiritual gift or gifts that he or she has received by grace. All the spiritual gifts are listed in Romans in chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Romans 12, 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. Knowing those and reading about those, you may ask the Lord to guide you and use you according to the spiritual gift or gifts that the Lord has given you, because that is his promise in his word, and his word never fails. If you are a believer, the Bible says each one of us has received a spiritual gift. Just know that since the ministry of the apostles has ended, certain spiritual gifts have ceased as well, such as the gift of tongues. But there are many other gifts that are still in operation for our days today. All the spiritual gifts are divided into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. The speaking gifts, Peter says in first place, he says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. The speaking gifts are the, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching, the gift of exhortation, encouragement. They are the verbal gifts. But Peter also tells us that the spiritual gifts can be divided as serving gifts, categorized as serving gifts, as he says in second place, Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. The serving gifts are the gifts of leadership, administration, serving others by being a volunteer. The gift of generosity, if the Lord has so blessed you, you can bless others who are in need. The Lord has given us speaking gifts. The Lord has given you a serving gift. But the Lord has given you both, but the Lord has given you at least one spiritual gift, gift through which you can save you, through which you can serve Him. What is your spiritual gift? And how are you using it to serve God and the body of Christ? 
God has given us salvation by grace. And he has given us at least one spiritual gift by grace. So that we wouldn't be spectators, but that we would be participants in the work of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians in chapter 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Can you believe it? How amazing this verse is. God has saved you by faith, by his, by his grace, and God by grace has given you a spiritual gift, and the Lord has even already prepared the good works that he wants to fulfill through you. He has already written all the good works that he wants to be fulfilled in your life beforehand, that means before time began, before the foundation of the world, when he chose you in the election, the Lord chose you not only for salvation, but the Lord also chose the works that he wants to complete through you. All that is left for us to do is, as we sing this morning, I surrender. As the hymn says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, unto thee. What is your spiritual gift? Ask, seek the Lord so that you can be used for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth according to the gift or gifts that the Lord has given you. God's grace has also given us the gift of eternal comfort and good hope. Eternal comfort and good hope. The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. The Bible tells us in third place that the grace of God has given us the gift of eternal comfort and good hope. That word comfort means consolation. And it refers to the indestructible confidence that we can have upon the Lord that he will never fail us, he will never forsake us. It is the indestructible confidence that the Lord is always with us. Even when we do not understand the circumstances in our lives, we don't quit on God. Because we know that he is in control. We know that he is sovereign. And we, don't, and we don't walk away from him. But we trust in the Lord even when we don't understand our circumstances. If you understand what eternal comfort means, that word eternal means simply that you won't die. It will never cease. It will stay with you. Oh, this has overtones of the perseverance of the saints. If you truly trust the Lord, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will never apostatize, you never abandon your faith. Because it is a gift of God's grace. As He has given you salvation, He has also given you this eternal comfort that cannot die, this indestructible confidence. Even when we don't understand what is happening in your life, you don't quit and walk away from the Lord. But the Bible tells us that not only the grace of God has given us this eternal comfort, but as a pair in this gift, the grace of God has also given us good hope. And what is that? We see that in Titus in chapter 2 where the Bible says, For the grace of God has appeared, and we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. 
In the present, we have this indestructible confidence. We have the eternal comfort in the Lord for our days. But as we look around to the world, we see that this world is certainly not perfect. We see so many things that are wrong in this world. And so for the future, we have this good hope. We have this blessed hope that one day, Jesus Christ will return to this earth. And he will inaugurate his kingdom on this earth. And he will straighten things out. And he will judge and he will reign with all righteousness and justice. That is our blessed hope. This is not the rapture. The rapture has happened seven years before that. When that rapture happens, we'll be taken up to be with the Lord in the clouds. We'll stay with him for seven years in glory. And then at his second coming, that's when the blessed hope happens. When he will return to this earth and the Lord will inaugurate his millennial kingdom and then he will reign with all righteousness and justice. That confidence is a gift that you and I have received as a gift from God's grace. That cannot fail us. We have this indestructible confidence in our hope. The eternal comfort for the present and our good hope and blessed hope for the future. But the grace of God has also given us the gift of peace. The gift of peace. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, in all of his 13 letters, he salutes his recipients with a standard salutation? He speaks the same salutation in all of his 13 letters. From Romans to Philemon, he uses these words. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The words may vary slightly, but what is constant is that he always mentions the grace of God and the peace of God. Why? Because grace is always the means of salvation, but peace is always the result of salvation. If God has given you by his grace his salvation, God will always also give you peace with him and peace from within. According to the present, according to the presence of his Holy Spirit within you. Grace and peace. The means of salvation and the result every single time. The result of salvation. It is peace with God and peace within by his spirit. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 48, there is no peace for the wicked because this peace is a gift from God's grace to believers only. Only believers can truly experience what peace truly is. In fact, it is a characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit within our hearts. The Bible tells us in Galatians in chapter 5 in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It is impossible for anyone without Christ to experience true peace. There is no peace for the unbeliever. But the same prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 26, in verse 3, speaking of believers, he says the opposite. He says, God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are established and firm in him because they trust in the Lord. God has given us a peace that goes beyond understanding. The Bible tells us in Colossians, in chapter 3, let the peace of, 
of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This peace that comes as a result of His grace having given us salvation, it is a peace that once you experience that peace, no matter what you are going through, no matter what kind of distressful situation you are going in your life, by knowing that God has given you that peace and has sealed, has sealed your life for that peace, you can always be thankful despite the circumstances. In fact, thankfulness to God despite your circumstances opens the door to a peace that is beyond understanding. The Bible tells us in Philippians in chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that what takes the anxiety away is not the fact that you have a guarantee that your prayer will be answered. What takes the anxiety away is the presence of the Holy God in your life that will bring peace from within, so that you can endure even before the prayer is answered. The Bible tells us in the words of Alexander McLaren, as I have quoted him to you before, in speaking of this reality from the Bible, he said these words, this 19th century Scottish Baptist minister, he said, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. If you experience true peace from the Lord, it doesn't mean that you are living a trouble-free life. But what it means is that you have the presence of God within, from the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit within you. Oh, what a blessed gift we have received from the Lord. Peace beyond understanding, because we trust in Him. God's grace has given us wonderful gifts. The gift of salvation. The spiritual gifts, the pair of eternal comfort and good hope and peace. But God's grace has given us also one other gift that is specifically mentioned in the scriptures as coming from God's grace to us. And that is the gift of suffering. And someone may say, preacher, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? Are you saying that God's gracious gift, gifts to us include suffering? Yes. The Bible specifically tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm. In this grace. Christian brother and sister, are you experiencing suffering in your life? That comes from God's grace to you as well. Stand firm in this grace. When the apostle Peter says, stand firm in this grace, this is truly from God's grace to you, what you are experiencing. What were they experiencing? We have studied the first epistle of Peter here, and what were they experiencing? Those Christians were being persecuted by the demented Emperor Nero in Rome, and they were being burned alive or being sent to the Colosseum to fight the gladiators and be mauled by wild beasts. 
That's all. That's what they, that's what they were experiencing. And Peter says, stand firm in this grace. Do not give up. Do not quit on the Lord because this is coming from God's grace to you. Why? Because God allows grace to give us the gift of suffering so that our true Christian character can be displayed. If you are not a Christian, suffering will not produce good results in your life. On the contrary, the Lord tells us in the parable of the soils in Luke chapter 8 verse 13 that the seed that was planted in the rocky soil represents those who receive the word of God with great joy. And they believe for a while. But then when suffering comes, when temptation comes, they fall away. God allows suffering to come into your life so that your testimony of faithfulness can shine bright. Your testimony during suffering is what confirms that you have real faith. The way you act and speak when things are not going your way is what gives evidence that God is in your life. Because the grace of God who has saved you will be the same grace of God who will give you the endurance even in the moments of your worst suffering. You will not abandon the Lord. You will not, walk, you will not be walking away. Grace will give you that endurance. In the year 325, the Council of Nicaea in ancient Greece took place. It is considered one of the most important church councils of the early church in the year A.D. 325. It was considered one of the most important first because of the topic that the delegates that the church leaders were going to address. The church was being assaulted by a damning heresy saying that Jesus was not God. And so the church leaders, they gathered together to formulate a response to refute that heresy and confirm the deity of Christ. But what made that Council of Nicaea special was not only the response that the delegates were able to formulate and refuse that heresy, but was about the testimony of the delegates themselves. Did you know that out of the 318 delegates who attended the Council of Nicaea, 306 of them had lost an eye, had lost an arm, or had become lamed because of torture for their faith in Jesus Christ. The fifth century theologian Theodoret, he wrote of that council. He said, some had been deprived of the use of both hands by the application of a red-hot iron by which the nerves which give motion to the muscles had been rendered dead. Some had had the right eye dug out. Others had lost the right arm. In short, the council looked like an assembled army of martyrs. And to think that we can be tempted not to come to church because it's raining. Despite their suffering, they remained faithful to Christ. Grace gave them the endurance to go through what they were going through. May the Lord be merciful to us so that we too be found faithful. Even in the face of the worst circumstances in our lives. The Bible tells us in the words of the Apostle Paul that he pleaded with the Lord three times 
that the Lord would give him relief from the tremendous suffering that he was going through. But the Bible tells us that the Lord told him, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Brothers and sisters, in everything, let us give thanks to God, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No matter what you are going through, give thanks to him, not for the suffering, but in the suffering, in everything. Give thanks to him, because you know that your life is in God's hands. He has a plan in all of this. One, the Lord, he gave you the greatest gift of them all, salvation. Also give you everything necessary for you to pass this test. For you to go through this time of suffering in your life. The Lord is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord is the one who has given us these excellent gifts through his grace. Eternal salvation for which we must forever be thankful. His spiritual gifts through which we may serve the Lord and glorify his name in the body of Christ. Eternal comfort and good hope, this indestructible confidence and our assurance that the Lord will return and we will be here with him, reigning with Christ. This peace that is beyond understanding despite our circumstances and even suffering because we know that confirms our Christian character. Brothers and sisters, give thanks. Especially knowing that the Lord has revealed in his word that we are living in days where thankfulness will be rare. Let each and every one of us be the exception. Not only be the exception in our midst, but in the world. Giving thanks to him for his grace. Paul Washer once said, I have given God one million reasons not to love me. But not one of them has changed his mind. I can identify with that. Thank God for his amazing grace. Thank God for his amazing grace. We thank him for his amazing grace and for this indescribable gift that the grace of God has brought into our lives. May the Lord bless us, and may the Lord always keep us thankful for all that he has given us for the glory of his name. Let us pray.